Mini episode 1512 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the start of the FDH Lounge series of NFL Divisional Previews in 2022. Today, we are tackling first and foremost the AFC East, and you have with you FDH Lounge original dignitaries Rick Morris and Chris Galloway. In this segment, we are going to tackle some macro-level issues at the outset for this season. Subsequently, at the top of every uh, divisional preview, we'll just refer you back to this because we're just going to dive right into that division and get to it as far as the, uh, the different uh, storylines, narratives, all those uh, juicy words to describe uh, every division in the NFL this season. And uh, I'm going to start with a column from Fantasy Football Draftology 2022, available on the main page of FantasyDraftHealth.com. From the FDH Lounge, FantasyDraftHealth.com, and Sportsology, I have a column that postulates that this is sort of the beginning of the 2020s era of the NFL. That uh, For historians like Chris and myself, it's popular for folks to speak of, well, the 60s really started with the Kennedy assassination, or the 2000s really started with 9-11. So I think if you look at it that way, there's a very good chance that when we look back on it, we'll look back at 2022 as the start of what we associate as the 2020s in the NFL. You have a lot of new TV teams this year, the number one teams at different networks. We've had an almost unprecedented amount of stability. But uh, you've got Al Michaels moving over to uh, Amazon Prime. Him and Herb Street are going to have the Thursday night game streaming exclusive. This is a huge sea change for the NFL with their uh, Thursday night games. Tom Brady is the man in waiting at Fox, but Greg Olson, meantime, is going to be uh, keeping the seat warm there. Him and Kevin Burkhardt are going to be the number one team on Fox for the next year or likely two. Uh, You have uh, the new Monday night football team of Buck and Aikman, fresh off of two decades at Fox Sports. So you got a lot of changes on the TV side. Uh, you have some off-field things here as well. We saw a lot of movement in the offseason, a lot of big money getting moved around. Uh, by the way, on the Deshaun Watson front, that is a big story in and of itself. But Chris and I already tackled that FDH Lounge mini episodes 15, I'm sorry, 1459 and 1460, uh, including our own personal thoughts on the situation. Plenty of analysis there. But uh, the movement of uh, Tyree Kill, Devontae Adams, players like that, that uh, teams didn't want to pay. These megastar contracts when guys are coming up for the second big contract, a lot of movement there. Also off-field, you've got uh, Discovery, I think, being a real bitch around the NFL here. You've got the uh, Brian Flores lawsuit uh, going on, John Gruden pursuing his lawsuit. So uh, Daniel Snyder still shouldn't be sleeping very well. I would say, based on uh, the Gruden one and what may still uh, come out in that, uh, especially the way that the NFL uh, you know, did their little leak last year. Somebody at the NFL did to get rid of John Gruden and make him 
a distraction in that. And then, of course, the super-loaded AFC. This is sort of like the NBA, the way that it was with the Western Conference. From the end of Jordan to the end of LeBron in the Eastern Conference, you had about a 20-year period there where the West was, was really dominant in the NBA. And now you have that in the NFL, which is rare. The AFC really towers over the NFC. So I may even be missing a few uh, big uh, factors here, Chris, but uh, it looks to me like this is a season that heralds a lot of change in the league, even if I think there's a stability in terms of the top powers in the league. But I think that there's change in a lot of different areas of the league and maybe things that we may not even notice from week to week, but we'll notice years later looking back on this. Well, I agree with you, and I think that you know one of the things that I want to sort of bold prediction throw out there is that this year could end up being Bill Belichick's last. Interesting. I think privately Robert Kraft is tired of the Belichick way, and I think that seeing all these hot young new coaches all around the league doing doing well, you know, explosive offenses, and meanwhile the Patriots don't have what amounts to even a top 50 wide receiver. Yeah. By all reports, Mac Jones is regressing to the point of the arrogance of Belichick to not even have an offensive coach in the building. They've not drafted well as of late. And, and I think that last year, although a really good coaching job, right, to, 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 to get that team to where they got, right. Um, you know, just to get into the playoffs, I thought was, was something else. Although I think we all knew they were pretenders. Right. Um, I think the Patriots are going to win five or six games this year. Ooh. And, and I think that Kraft is going to say, this ship is sinking, and I don't think he's going to wait. I don't think he's going to let Belichick try to right the ship for three, four, five years on his own terms. I don't think Kraft will tolerate it because I think he's spent an exorbitant amount of money last offseason in free agents who, by and large, didn't deliver. And... We all know. I mean, you and I questioned it last year, right? right. The NFL adage was, you can't get better by adding tons of free agents. You get better, you know, through the draft and through developing players. And then if you're, you know, if you're one player away, you go out and you find them as a free agent kind of thing. And that's always been the model that works. The mega dump of cash to just buy players, you know, in part probably is what helped get them just into the playoffs. But none of none of that money really um, earned a return. So that's my kind of curveball prediction: is that, that this could be the end of the road for Belichick. That that there are a lot of people in and around that organization that are just tired of him, and they have Belichick fatigue, including Kraft. Very interesting, and you're really setting the uh, the case right now, uh, early on here for the uh, working at the AFC East, uh, which we are going to do. I will say, in, in looking at this, uh, and, and you, you've been kind of bold on predicting this previously. This is not the first time you've mentioned that uh, there might be an expiration date on all of this. And before we get any further to the AFC East, I want to build on what you said by noting something here. And this is something I noted at the time in free agency. And yes, they dumped a whole bunch of money and everything like that. But it was sort of the poster child for what they were doing. A lot of the money, I think, went to Hunter Henry as well as uh, with another tight end at the time. It was like some nice players, but I mean, this wasn't the 97 Marlins as far as buying a championship, right? They were spending a lot of money, but you and I and a lot of people were looking at this at the time and going, 
this might be the market value for these players because they're in the right place at the right time, but that's not to say that they're really worth this amount of money. I mean, anybody that looked at the caliber of guys they were bringing in was not shaking in their boots and what the Patriots had done. They spent a lot of money, but they spent a lot of money without there being a lot of real impact players in that bunch. That's right. I mean, I, you know, again, they signed what I thought were just above average players. Yes. Right? Solid players, but not a bunch of Pro Bowlers. Right. Or, or maybe they're the kind of player that's going to make the Pro Bowl every, you know, every four years kind of a... Right. You know, again, just above average players to premium deals that that's a lot of money to sink into just above average players. So B minus players. Good, but not but not game changing. And to your point, uh, you know, all the off season, you know, ooh and ah by the press over what the Patriots did and the biggest, you know, free agency spending in NFL history, it's like, yeah, but you know, where's the where's the where's the Nick Chubb? Where's the Devontae Adams? Where's the they didn't get anybody like that. Right, and, and I and so to your point, it was like I I don't see I don't see the value. I think what they ended up getting was an upgrade in players in those positions. I think Matt Judon was a great signing, actually. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, overall, they they, they didn't get players that were going to get them beyond say just squeaking into the playoffs, and that's a lot of cap space and capital to assign to a bunch of guys that are just going to kind of get you there. Absolutely. And like I said, uh, the the area that you're keying in on actually kind of leads directly into what this segment is going to be focusing on, the AFC East. And we're going to be doing this the same way we did last year. I think it did a lot to bring focus to our coverage of each division. I am borrowing from, once again, Fantasy Football Draftology, available on the main page of FantasyDraftHelp.com. I have a feature called One Run-On Sentence for each AFC team, and I also do it for the NFC, so I go by division. So I'm going to give my run-on sentence for each team, and we can kind of react to that. Buffalo, the second consecutive postseason loss to KC, this past one being one of the worst losses in franchise history, and that's saying something for a team that dropped four consecutive Super Bowls. Leading to the signing of Von Miller indicates that the team is entering the now-or-never phase of this big run. No pressure. Miami. Raheem Mostert and company running the ball in Mike McDaniel's system should force single coverage on the team's explosive receivers, but the failure to utilize the admittedly sparse draft hall to reinforce the defense to a greater degree may sentence Tua to having to win a series of 35-31 to games. New England, as the playoff blowout at Buffalo showed, years of poor drafting have yielded a ceiling just above mediocre, even if the established system provides a high floor, meaning that this year and the remainder of Belichick's career could be spent hugging either side of the 500 mark. The New York Jets, a very good draft, provided the first step towards digging this franchise out of its long-standing hole, but remaining holes on the offensive line, And in the back seven, combined with a make-or-break year for Zach Wilson to show dramatic improvement, we'll see the team in last place yet again. So, spoiler alert on each division, this is the order as we're going through them. That's the order that I see these teams finishing in each division. So, I do see Buffalo uh, as the division winner, as does approximately 100% of the rest of America. And I do see Miami making it as a wild card. So, Thoughts on what I said and didn't say about any of these teams, Chris? 
Well, I first let me just say I think you nailed you nailed it. Um, the the only thing I would say is I actually because I am so down on the Patriots, I actually have the Jets eating uh, it out in the third place over the Patriots. Um, That's incredible. I have the Patriots in last place. Wow. Um, I, I I like what the Jets did in the offseason. I liked the fight that team had last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they you know even though they won four games, you know they did beat the Bengals. They did you know they showed up most weeks, not every week, but for a team with a lot of holes and young young, young players and a lot of flaws. I thought they played hard. Yes. And and as you'll see later on in my review of. Uh, other divisions, um, I, I still think that matters. So, but I, you know, obviously the Bills are by far and away uh, the front runners. As long as Josh Allen stays healthy, they run away with the division. If they suddenly have to hand it over to Case Keenan for some reason, uh, they're probably in trouble. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I agree with you in the Dolphins in second place uh, in the division. I really like the offense churn there, the, the new additions. Um, Mostert looks great in the preseason from what I what little I've seen of him. Tyreek Hill, Waddle, uh, it, it really changes some of the dynamic um, uh, on that uh, on that roster. That said, their their flaws in their defense. Um, they're gonna have to draft hard in the defense next year, but you know, you don't rebuild and build overnight. Yeah, Jets loved the draft. Um, I think they're making, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sold on Sala as a coach, but they do, but they do play hard, and I like their draft. And um, and again, I think their biggest thing is they're battling with the Patriots all season to see that third and fourth place finisher. Um, I just like you. I years of bad drafting and not having Tom Brady there is the world's largest band-aid that I think has them exposed. And I think last year, I was not expecting playoffs with the Patriots um, at all. And um, they, they, did, they overperformed for what I thought they were going to be. I think it catches up with them finally this year. I think that is very possible. I have the Jets at six wins, interestingly enough. So it's a thing where I have them as a last-place team with six wins, but I get the sense that you could see them as a third-place team with six wins based on the fact you think they'll be ahead of New England. Yeah, I think the Jets are a six- or seven-win team, potentially, and I think the Patriots are a five- or six-win team. Now, does that mean the Pats and the Jets don't both go six and 11 and there's a tiebreak? Maybe the Jets finish last, maybe. Um, I kind of have them both right around six and eleven, so um, that's that's my thought process. I just have the Jets sort of with the tiebreak. Yeah, it sounds like we're coming out in a lot of the same place in the division here. Uh, the last note that I have is that uh, for Miami, uh, I will say, and this is when I was going through the post draft review, and uh, I was not as kind to their uh, defensive draft but they were drafting in the areas that I thought they needed to draft in. So they were making picks that I regarded as being reaches, uh, and I might have been a little bit more down on what some of the rest of the defense was coming back than they are internally. So this is one of these things where if I'm wrong and they're right, uh, I think this is a, a legitimate team 
that could not only make the playoffs, but maybe even win a game or so, if they are right about that defensively. And it sounds like you kind of agree with me that they may still have some question marks there. Uh, but if they know more about it than we do, and sometimes that's right with teams, and sometimes uh, sometimes we're the ones that are right. But uh, if they're right, Chris, and we're wrong, then this team can do some damage. Yeah, I, I think you, what you say is correct, other than the fact that I don't know that I would rely on first-year players mm-hmm. um, to be a difference maker. It's okay. If you're going to have a good defense, or, or even an offense for that matter, one or two rookies starting maybe is what you want at best. Right. Um, you know, if you're relying on a bunch of draft picks on the defensive side, they're just not going to get ready for the NFL. Exactly. Even if they end up being, the Dolphins are right and you're wrong on, say, who they picked in those spots, you know, it may not be two years two and three before they can be proved right. So I think from that standpoint, you will be proved right in year one. You're probably that right. Makes sense. In terms of the end result. Yes, you're you're probably right. But uh, generally speaking, I certainly like what they're doing there. I, I think McDaniel's is going to take it in a good direction. I, I was not a fan of firing Flores, but I think they got a bright mind to replace him and somebody who uh, I think uh, has an inventive mind and relates well to others. So in in the medium. Well, in term, that case, that Miami case is a great example of. We're all shocked by the firing of Flores because we all look at it and go, man, he, we thought he did a great coaching job sure. with, what he, with what he had. And I think that that's a true statement. But then we learned some things, or at least the, those in the building claimed that there were, there were personality problems and toxicity and, and other things. And the organization felt like, you know, that the coach was a part of a lot of that. So, and again, we're not privy to that, right? You know, right. We, we don't see it, so maybe inside that building, you know, the rest of the world's like, boy, you know, Brian Flores, you know, great guy, great coach, and inside that building, you know, they want to burn him in effigy. Right. And, and, and that doesn't mean that he's wrong and they're right. It just means the relationship isn't working, and, and it had to end, and so obviously it did. Um, but it is a great reminder, I think, to fans. It's like, you know, <laughs> we don't know deadly. Right, what goes yeah. on in those buildings. Uh, except for when it's all said and done, then finally people are willing to talk. True. The one thing I will say is that uh, you, you often cite this as an indicator, and I think that this is accurate when you do this. You look at how hard teams play. That team got buried kind of early on last year and came firing back. They never gave up. Uh, and, and generally speaking, again, a team that hates its coach probably doesn't rally back as much as they did. I mean, there's exceptions to every rule, of course, but as I always say, law of averages, that's kind of what I go by. So as hard as they were playing, it's hard to believe there were that many people that really hated Brian Flores. Well, you, to your point, the people that hated Brian Flores might not have been the players. True. You know? Yeah. <laughs> again, I... I'm citing everything that we've heard after the fact is, is others within the building and the organization. Right. Um, I didn't hear a lot of griping from players. Right. Um, so, to your point, I I think you're right. I think the players respected him. I don't know that they necessarily liked him, but, I mean, because we'll never know that. Right. Um, but they certainly respected him. They played hard for him, which is why they they finished the way they did within a, sort of an inferior uh roster, in our opinion. But anyway, to your point, in the end, Mike McDaniel, young offensive mind in that division, I'm sorry, offensive mind in that division, and when 
You know, Robert Kraft looks around and the Dolphins win, you know, five more games than the Patriots. Um, I think he's going to get ideas in his head about making a change. Very possibly. Uh, and, uh, again, looking at this, you know, you add a Tyreek Hill to having Waddle and the ability to take the top off the top here. And, again, two is one of the players who's going to be most on the uh, bubble here in the league this year to make it work with all of that talent there. But, again, uh, you're going to have to respect those wide receivers. You're going to probably have to single cover them a lot with the, uh, the, the stable of running backs that they have in the backfield there. So, yes, Miami. A very interesting team, one worth keeping an eye on. Uh, and in a very intriguing AFC East, and one that could be intriguing in a historical sense if you prove to be right, and if this is perhaps the beginning of the, uh, the end of the era of Bill Belichick in the NFL. We shall see. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to our preview of the AFC East in 2022.